Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching through Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and the sermon title is Not Under the Law, But Under Grace. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to pray over that. Um, Before I do that, though, I want to introduce myself. Um, My name is Joel. I've had the chance to meet a bunch of new faces here today, so it's really a joy to see that and to see all of our church family. So welcome and good morning to New City Church. Awesome. So glad to be here. So uh, my name is Joel, and I get to be the lead pastor here, and we are working our way through a series that is a little bit more topical in nature than what we generally do. We generally work through books of the Bible, uh, but we're, we're on week three of a series called called Rightly Handling the Truth. And so we've been looking at key scriptures, um, topics that are generally mishandled or taken out of context and because of that cause uh, damage. Um, Before we get into that, like I said, I wanted to cover a couple things. I want to bring this into another plug for this book. This is called One to One. It's a book that we've been giving out free for about a year and a half now, and we want to make it just very, very obvious that this, it's a free resource, and it's something that we have seen sort of sweep through New City Church, and we want it to happen even more so. So some of you are already using this as a tool for discipleship, one-to-one, brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister, sometimes three people. Um, I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands of who's doing it, because I think it would be cool, but then I don't want, to, I don't want anybody to feel bad either for not doing it. But I have a sense, because we did a poll, that there's quite a bit of people doing it. And when we found out that there were people that were not in a relationship doing discipleship, that very week we saw more relationships build and form around simply coming around the Bible, reading it together in order to grow in Christ. That sounds pretty genius, doesn't it? Right? Read the Bible and grow in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not read this book or if you're not in a relationship one-to-one, whether you're a mature believer or a new believer, you need to be discipling or being discipled and in that process somewhere. So pray about that and then do it because you really, 
it's really more of a command from the Lord <laughs> than, than a suggestion. So those are back on the shelf back there. Grab one. If we run out, we'll buy a hundred more. We'll give more out for free. It's fine. So let me pray over this word today, and let's ask the Lord to really speak to us from his word. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you that your word is true, that you have given us everything that we need, all that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of Christ. And we believe your word points us to Jesus. Of all things, God, that we can know in this world, may we know your word best of all. Thank you for the people here that are gathered. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are home or away or for whatever reason, Lord, whether sick or traveling, whatever the, the, uh, the reason is, God, we lift them up to you as well. And we pray that today our hearts would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's people in our midst this morning who do not know the gospel, who have not believed in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, and they are in their sins and in unrighteousness today, God, would you save souls and strengthen your church for your glory. That is our prayer. May that be the collective, united prayer of this church, that you would be glorified through the preaching of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So today, the topic is going to come from a text in Romans. Of course, we read Romans, and so that kind of gave it away. But I want to start, lay the stage here with just a question, and then I'll, I'll reveal what the topic is and what the text is that we're going to be looking at primarily. If a sinner is saved by grace through faith alone, which we are, which believers are saved by grace through faith alone, then is a Christian then still required to keep God's law? If we're saved by grace through faith alone, then are we required to keep God's law? Another way to ask this is, if I'm saved by grace and not by my obedience, what happens then when I sin? What happens when I sin? These are good questions. These are things that we have all probably thought as believers. Or how carefully do I need to think, or how careful do I need to be about sinning? If there's grace in my life and God forgives me, then do I need to be careful about abstaining from and not walking in sin? Do I even need to be worried about obedience if grace covers me? Just kind of runs the gamut of questions where this can go sort of on that pendulum swing. So these are the questions that, that Christians have been asking for, for centuries. They, they wrestle with from time to time. We've all wrestled with these sorts of things. And in our text, in the, the Romans, is a first Corinthian, or excuse me, first century Christians have asked this. We have asked this. Believers have wrestled with this for so long. After coming to trust in the grace of Jesus and his work on the cross, we wonder, what does the law of Moses mean for me? And to be confused on this could lead a person to believe all sorts of things, namely that they can earn a right standing before God. To be confused on the law and what it means for the life of a, of a believer or for a person in our world today, it can confuse how we can be made right before God. Or can we, by our disobedience, lose our right standing before God? Misunderstanding the law and grace can cause a lot of worry for people. I'm sure some of you have even worried about this. I've sinned. I've broken God's law. What does that mean for me as a Christian? Am I saved? 
What has happened to my salvation if I offend and break God's law as a believer? And so people worry about this and struggle, especially those who struggle with the same sins over and over again every day. Even someone constantly doubting their salvation because they struggle to obey Scripture. I'm sure some of you have been right there. So thankfully, the Apostle Paul addressed this at length in his letter to the Romans. I would encourage you, if you've ever struggled with this thought, read Romans from beginning to end. Do it several times and ask God to pour his truth over you. What has the gospel done? How are we justified? How are we saved? How is a person redeemed from sin and made right with God, made righteous? And God's word, especially, specifically the book of Romans, goes to a great extent to make this case. So the text that we are considering... That that can be mishandled or misunderstood is in Romans 6, 14. It is a very pom- uh, popular scripture, and it says this, For sin will have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Someone might say when being confused about their sin or about obedience or the commandments, Hey, listen, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. You ever heard somebody say that? regarding their obedience and whether they are required to do what God has asked. Hey, I'm not under the law. And more shared as kind of an excuse or an escape from responsibility. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Therefore, I can live this way. And you can't call me out of sin. You can't call me to holiness because I'm under grace. I'm sure many of you have, have heard that or maybe even have said that. You've lived in that and God... Hopefully has called you out of that. So we're going to examine that text really closely today. And I want to do this by handling a few key words that are in just that verse. We're going to pick that verse apart. And then it's going to also allow us to sort of step back to the broader context of the letter that Paul is writing. Because that is the whole point of this series. When we take a scripture and we just narrow in on it, pulling it out of context and sharing it with the world... It can cause a lot of confusion or misunderstanding. And so we want to get a really good grasp on this today. So first of all, looking at that scripture, it says, Since you are not under the law but under grace, the whole, the whole verse, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. So keep your eyes on that verse as we talk through a few words. The first thing that Paul mentions is sin. And I think it's an important thing to understand this whole verse. First of all, he mentions sin. He says, for sin will have no dominion. That is amazing. That's an amazing truth right there. That sin will have no dominion. So we have to ask, what is sin? And for those of you who have walked with Christ, don't tune out because you know what sin is. We all need to be reminded every day the truth of what God's Word is. What is sin? Sin is, as I'm sure you've heard, missing the mark, as it's been said by many teachers. Missing the mark specifically, though, of God's righteous standard. Missing the mark of God's righteous standard. Paul first mentions sin in the book of Romans in chapter 3. So to get the broader context, we understand that Paul has already been talking about sin as he's writing to these Roman believers in the first century. And in chapter 3, he's telling the Gentile Romans that there was no advantage to being a Jew, or there was, there was some advantage to being a Jew in the sense that the Jews had been given the Scriptures, whereas the Gentiles 
had not. But in terms of attaining to righteousness or salvation, there was no advantage at all. So whereas the Jews had the scriptures, and there was an advantage in that sense, they had the oracles of God, as Paul would say, not the Gentiles. When it comes to salvation, no advantage. And here's what he says in Romans 3, 9. When I reference these, you can quickly look them on the screen or turn and mark them in your Bible, flip your pages, whatever you need to do, get your eyes on the text. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? And he asks it very clearly. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And so this is where he mentions sin here. All are under sin. In other words, every human of every race misses the mark of God's righteousness and is worthy of judgment from God. That's what sin does. But it's not only the Gentiles, those who are without the written law, who were in trouble of condemnation, but everyone, both Jews and Greeks, under sin. It's important to understand in our view of the gospel, what is God doing, what is necessary, what is required, what, is, what has to happen for someone to be right with God. This was an important point to be made if the Roman Christians were to understand the gospel. This issue before them was not about their race or their tradition or their pedigree, whether they descended from Abraham or whether they were a Gentile. The issue was sin. I want to make that so clear. What he's painting to, for them, what he's saying to them is, Jew or Gentile, the problem with this world and with every nation, and it's continuing to this day, the problem is sin. That's the problem in our world today. The condition of the heart in its natural state is a heart full of sin. The Bible teaches this. In its natural state, the human heart is full of sin, and that should trouble people the most in this world. But in fact, it does not trouble very many people at all, does it? That our hearts are full of sin. That the human heart, apart from the righteousness of Christ and the saving mercy of Jesus, is full of sin full of an offense against God, unrighteous, unable, falling short of God's glory. That is the truth. That is what is being taught in the Scriptures. And it needs to be troubling. But why should it be troubling? It should be troubling because sin is not just a thing that we deal with, as many treat it. It's not just mistakes that we make. Have you ever thought of your sins as mistakes? Like just coloring outside the line a little bit? Like, I, I, you know, I, I tripped or I accidentally did this. No, those are mistakes. Sin is not a mistake. It's far worse than that. We should not reduce it to a level of a mistake. It's a nature that we have fallen to as a consequence from God. It's a nature. It's a part of the human nature. It is that our natural state is sin, is falling short. So we live in sin. We live fallen, condemned, and born that way because of our parents, Adam and Eve. And he, because of that, natural, that thought, he takes chapter 4, and he begins to speak about Abraham. And so read through Romans. Again, this should be an encouragement to also go home later today and read through Romans and get even the greater context of this. Born that way because of our parents. Whereas Adam and Eve once had dominion and walked with God in peace, now humanity is separated from God and sin has dominion. That's what he's trying to say. We are under sin. And that brings us to the next word in our text. And it's the word that is translated from the Greek to the English word dominion. 
And so let's look at it again. He says, sin shall not have dominion. I think you should focus on that not part. Sin shall not have dominion. That's a glorious grace from God. For many of us here, we understand what that means. By God's grace, we are not ruled by sin anymore. But we once were, and the whole world is, who is outside of Christ, is ruled by sin. But he says, sin shall not have dominion, and this implies that there are some over whom sin does have dominion. And what does this mean? It means that dominion, dominion means to have power over, or it's, it, it's talking about a mastering force. When we think about sin in that way, that sin can actually be a mastering force or have power over a human being. So that means that there's a master over human lives, and that master is sin. And because sin has lordship and rule in the lives of people, this world is in the condition that it is in. This is why marriages struggle and why children disobey and disrespect and honor their parents. This is why communities take joy in the things that God hates and why people revel in unrighteousness. It is the reason why there is bloodshed and abortions and murders and broken homes and rampant sexual promiscuity because there is this master over the lives of people in this world and that master is sin, maybe even over some in this room today. That what masters you, what rules you, what controls you is sin. And sin is the missing of the mark of God's standard. And some do it willfully, others do it ignorantly. But either way, sinners are guilty before God. And that's the point that Paul is making in this larger part of this letter. Paul mentions this word dominion earlier in verse 9 of chapter 6. Look at what he says in verse 9 of chapter 6. 9 through 11, Romans 6, 9 through 11. He says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus. So we already have a reference point as he's talking about dominion. We have it now in the reference of Christ and how death now is to be viewed in relation to Jesus Christ. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus came to this earth, he chose to do so as a, as a human. He took on flesh and all the parameters and pains that come with being human. Jesus willingly took that on. Hear that maybe afresh today. Understanding that Jesus, what he did to relate to us, he took upon the pains of yours and my humanity. And all the parameters that came with that, with being human, including even death itself, willing to die. But as this text says, when Jesus was raised from the grave, he defeated death by the power of God. And it wasn't just temporary. It says he will never die again, which means it was a completed overtake, an overruling, a crushing, a killing of death itself by Jesus Christ he will never die again. And now he has ascended at the right hand of the Father. He's still alive. Hallelujah. He's still alive today. He's still, what is he doing? Having dominion because he will never die again. And he has dominion right now over death and over sin. And he is living right now unto God at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, is alive today. Dominion over death. He will never die again. That is good news, church. 
And when a person, as Paul says, considers, and we're going to look at that word a little bit here, he says, when a person considers themselves dead to sin by faith in Christ, in the same way that Christ died for sin at the cross, we now share in that dominion. That's the dominion that Paul is referring to. Sin shall not have dominion over us because Christ died for sinners at the cross, and by his death, he overrules death and has dominion over it. And that's what we are to think of when we think of this phrase, sin shall not have dominion over you because we are under grace, not under the law. Now I want you to just take note for a moment of that word that Paul uses that's translated to the word consider in the English. It's really amazing. It's pretty incredible. It's from a Greek word that means to take into account all the figures. Take all the figures and account them. Basically, he's saying, calculate what you're seeing here. Do the math. And here's the math. Jesus died for sinners, and he killed death when he rose again. Figure that out. Think about that. Jesus died for sinners. He killed death when he rose again so that sinners like us can die to our sin with him and live unto God through Christ. Do the math. That's what that means. Consider yourself dead with Christ and alive unto God through faith in Jesus. There's nothing we must do. Christ did it. That's what we calculate. That's when he says, consider yourself, or other translations, reckon yourself. Do the figures, and the figures, they're all there. Jesus did it. We just have to say, yes, Lord. Christ, you did this for me. So consider yourself dead to sin with Christ, and I pray you have and you do. You consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive with Christ. Then we have the next two words in our text, and it's the words law and grace. And it says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, to be clear, the law that Paul is referring to is the Ten Commandments. Primarily, when we see that in the text, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the two tablets of stone that Moses was given. And when we hear the law of Moses, we know we can look at the law considered the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We know that the law is in there, but we know that it was all encapsulated into two tablets of stone, Ten Commandments, and that is the law. That is the standard by which we understand God's holiness, and we're going to get into that more in just a second here. But that's what he's referring to, those two tablets of stone given to Moses on which contained the standard of God's righteousness. And the grace that Paul's referring to, which you've heard the definitions. You've maybe tried to come up with your own, but grace is what? That unmerited and unearned favor that comes from God towards sinners. The unmerited favor that would incline God's heart to save and forgive rather than punish and judge sinners. Grace. Unmerited, unearned. But this is where people get tripped up. Right here in this text, in this verse, and many that, many that are like it. The tendency is to act as though law and grace are at war with each other. Right there we say, well, law and grace. Well, I prefer grace. I don't want the law. I don't want the law. Law bad, grace good. <laughs> That's not what Paul's doing here. And just a, a brief survey really does make that clear. What did we just consider in the text that we've surveyed so far? That God's grace given through Christ does not have the victory, or excuse me, does have the victory, but what is it victorious over? If we can answer that question, 
that grace has the victory, but what is his grace victorious over, then we can end this battle between law and grace. Did grace defeat the law? What did grace defeat? Paul was very clear. Grace defeated sin. Grace defeats sin, not the law. What's the problem in our world? Better yet, what is the problem with the human condition? Is it the law of God? Is that the problem? Is the problem in our world that we are preaching too much of God's standard of holiness and righteousness and His goodness, that He is holy and we're not? Is that the problem? Or is the problem sin? The problem is sin. I think that's very clear. His perfect standard of holiness and what He requires of us. That's the law. But sin is what he has defeated. Paul uses all of chapter 5 to make the case that sin existed long before the written law came into the world. Sin was here already. Not only sin, but death itself. We know this because of what? The 100% mortality rate from Adam (laughs) to everybody else. Before the law even came into the world, death existed. Sin was in the world. Here's, this is where it makes the case. Back up a little bit to Romans 5, 13 to 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come. So what's he saying? He's He's saying that we're not sinners because we break the law. We're sinners because we're born in Adam. We're not sinners because we break the law. Sin and death were here before the law came. We're sinners because we're born in Adam, which is why he goes on to compare Adam and Jesus in chapter 5 and how through Adam's one trespass, all mankind is under condemnation, but through Christ's one act of obedience at the cross, many will be made righteous. So if sin is the problem and not the law, then what is the law for? And that's a natural question that should be asked. If sin is the problem and not the law, then what do we do with the law? And remember, Paul, Paul is clarifying this for the New Testament Christians. And here's what he says in Romans 5, 20 to 21. It says, now the, the law came in. It's an interesting phrase. The law came in. It was almost like it was like came in from the side. Like we've got sin and death are in the world, God's plan, and then, and then the law comes in. Sin came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what was its purpose? Have you gathered that yet? What was the purpose and what is the purpose of the law? Why did the law come in? To show us our sin. That's why the law came in. So when we hear, when you hear, thou shalt not, blank, fill it in. What does that do within the sinful man or woman? And I guess it depends on what particular command, right? You might hear, thou shalt not bear false witness, or you shall not lie, and be like, I got this. I'm not a liar. I got it. I'm good. And then eventually, you crumble under the standard, because that's not the only command. And if we break one or we do not fulfill all perfectly, we fall short of all of them. That's what Scripture teaches. 
So we begin to see that the law actually still does quite perfectly what it was intended to do, even today, to show us that we are sinners and that you and I still need the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is where we rely, and that is where we rest, upon the grace that defeats sin. And the law continues to show us that we still need Jesus. The law itself isn't bad. It was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster that pointed Old Testament saints to Christ. Now Christ has come, but he did not do away with the law, did he? God brought in a written law through Moses to increase the trespass and show us how desperately we need a gracious Redeemer to fix the mess in our hearts. So if you're constantly being shown that you have a messy heart because God's standard is too great, then you need to lean into Jesus Christ and press further into his grace and his accomplishment, what he did, what Christ did. It's not to increase your hatred for the law, or your hatred for God's standards, but to hate your sin and to rely on Jesus. So does that mean if the law worked to increase the offense so that God might show us grace, does that mean that we should sin more? And that's the question that Paul addresses because that's what we would think. So if, so if I sin and God is gracious when I sin, then why does it matter? Shouldn't I be able to just sin? And if I sin more, it gives God more opportunity to be gracious. Well, let's, help, let's help him out a little bit. Because God loves to be gracious, right? So why not? Paul anticipated this question. So in Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue, continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says with an exclamation mark, God forbid. By no means is that what he's saying. How can we who died to sin live in it? That's his answer. Should we sin that grace may abound? By no means. A true believer does not look for opportunities to sin but hates the sin that they once loved and the sin that Christ died for. This is a biblical teaching that can be taken to an unhealthy extreme and it's what is called antinomianism. Some of you have heard of it. Do what you want with it. It's just a cool word. Antinomianism. And it means against law. An, anti an antinomianist is somebody who is against God's law. We don't need it. I'm not obligated to keep it. I'm against it. So I'm going to ignore the law in order to uphold grace. It's the teaching that because we are under grace, there is no longer an obligation for Christians to obey the Mosaic moral law. Notice I'm not including the ceremonial, and, uh, the, the ceremonial law in the conversation because we know that all of those feasts and all of those foreshadowings, they were just that. They were rituals and feasts that foreshadowed. They were a shadow of Christ. But the moral law was not a shadow think about that. The moral law, the Ten Commandments were not a shadow that were to later be done away with. What was the moral law? It was a tutor. It was a guardian, according to Galatians 3.24. It was a guardian to point us to Christ, to show us our sin. But antinomianism, or to reject any obligation to obey, to obey God's law, is unbiblical. So if that's ever a confusion in you, let that be clear. It's unbiblical to ignore an obligation to obey the law of God. What we can say, and that is so important, is that obedience to the law is not a means of salvation. And that is so important. Obedience to the law, obedience to God's word, is never a means by which you are saved. 
how much you obey or how much you disobey is not the standard by which we come to be right with God. And Paul has made that also very clear. So we do need to be serious about obedience to God. Yes, even the written law of, of Moses, even the moral law of God, because Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. Jesus, his own words, he said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but what? To fulfill them. And that's in where we see grace, is in his fulfillment of that moral law, which is also an understanding of why we need Christ alone. Because Christ is the only one who can fulfill the law and could, could fulfill it completely and perfectly. And then we have scriptures like 2 Timothy 3.16 that say all scripture is God-breathed, including the Old Testament. So to say we don't need the Old Testament or we don't need the commandments would be to go against the New Testament teaching of Paul where he says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If the law could be ignored and disregarded as unimportant by Christians, consider this, then Jesus would not have summarized the whole law in two commands. And you, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Two commands, two imperatives, and what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commands sum up perfectly all ten. And Jesus Pass those on to us that we must still seek to keep those and to live within those commands. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So clearly Jesus wants us to obey his law, to obey the law of love and to follow his example. So though the law was effective in pointing out our sin and showing us the standard of God's righteousness, the law is not able to free us from sin not able to free us. And that is the whole point of Paul entering into this discussion to begin with. Because the whole world stands condemned in the sight of God, enslaved to sin. And the only hope was not that we become better law keepers. That's not the hope. But that, but believers in him would, who, but believe in him who justifies the ungodly. So not that we would become better at keeping the law, but that we would believe in him who justifies the ungodly by his perfect and precious blood. Look at these two scriptures. Romans 5.1, Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith. And then Romans 3.21, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe. So what do we do with all of this? It's a lot of information. So, so important, church. But what do we do with all of this? And I hate to be uh, unoriginal here, <laughs> but what else is there to do but look to Christ? To look to Jesus Christ, every one of us in this room today, wherever we struggle with sin, wherever we are with, with misunderstanding the law, how it bears on our life, am I saved? Am I, am, I, am I truly saved if I sin tomorrow? What do I do when I, when I struggle? Or maybe you're doing really well and you've begun to rest your righteousness upon your ability to memorize scripture or come to church every Sunday. 
And so you go to the other end of it, and, you, and your righteousness is really based upon your works. And so all of us, the, the great common denominator is Jesus Christ, to look to Christ. You guys hearing me? For the Christians in the room, those who know, and I know there's many of you who know, you know this, that Christ's life satisfied the requirements of the law, and you're not seeking to keep the law. You're not seeking to keep it as a means of your salvation or even an assurance of your salvation. But you have come to trust in that satisfying work, what Christ has done. He fulfilled, he satisfied the requirements of the law, and his sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God against sinners. You must not return to trusting in yourself. And that is the tendency. Whole books of Scripture have been written because people who trust in Christ begin to lean on their works, begin to lean on what they do in order to be assured of their salvation or their right standing before God. So you must not return to trusting in yourself. Or maybe this is you for beating yourself up about your performance and feeling condemned all the time because you don't feel like a good enough Christian. Because you don't feel like you've done as much as the person around you or the, that person that leads a ministry. And so you feel condemned. I would, sh I would ask for a show of hands about this. How many of you have ever felt condemned as a Christian? And I'm sure most of you have felt condemned. And so what do you do? You look to Christ who satisfied the law and who appeased the wrath of God against sinners. So you don't have to beat yourself up about your performance. Rather, you need to live by faith in the one who single act. So Christians, return your mind there again to that glorious single act that Jesus did upon the cross, his single act of righteousness, his act of paying for us. He paid for your life and he freed you from the grip of sin at the cross. So you look there again today and you live there. You need to live there. There's moments in your day where you doubt that, or you may doubt that, or something happens, or you sin, or you fall short, or you struggle, you, you repeat the sin over and over again. Well, what do you need? You don't need the law. The law shows you you're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need Christ. And I think we are a society that we so much want feelings, don't we? We want to feel right with God. But we have the Word of God that tells us the truth about what Jesus has done. So don't look for some fanciful feeling or, or some experience that many, many churches are saying, you need to experience God. Well, what if you don't experience Him? Well, you have His Word. And that's why we believe in sola scriptura. That's why we believe in this understanding of the Bible teaches us what we need to cling to by faith. And so do that again today. Live there in that truth. In that truth and reject a works-based salvation or a works-based sanctification. Because some of you may say, well, I know I'm saved by works, but how am I then sanctified? Don't I have to do all these things in order to be a sanctified Christian? No, it's the gospel that also sanctifies you. It's Christ Jesus and His Spirit who sanctifies you and changes you and transforms you. But there is a works-based sanctification that much of Christianity today embraces. But believer, it is like that hymn that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where your hope is. 
So if you need to return to that, then do that today. Repent of clinging to or trusting in anything other than that. Romans 8.1 is also in the context, this grand teaching. And I believe that between Romans 6 and Romans 8, there's this parenthesis where Paul just kind of clears up law and grace. And this is where Romans 8 comes in. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So don't don't fail to to run to the truth of Christ in his word when you feel condemned because you know the truth. You know the truth. And for those who reject a need to obey the law of God. Perhaps that's some of you, some of us in this room who have rejected the need to obey the law. The pendulum has swung too far in one direction. Please know that this is an abuse of grace. To say, because of grace, I don't need God's law anymore. I don't need God's word anymore. I don't need God's standard anymore. And it goes against the very teaching of Paul and of Christ himself. So to be in Christ and have his grace is to hate sin and what? Love obedience. Jesus commanded obedience. He, in fact, said, if you do not obey me, you do not love me. And finally, for the person who is enslaved to sin and living in unrighteousness today, If that perhaps is anyone in this room that you are enslaved to sin, you are ruled by your sin, sin is your master, it masters over you and it's controlling your every move and every thought so that you have no freedom in your life, your end will be death. You think you have freedom. But every choice is swayed by a broken and corrupted heart of sin. So what you need is to receive the grace that has been freely given by God so that you can be reconciled to him. That is a very serious thing I'm asking for you to listen to. If you're here in this room and you're unrighteous, and you're, you're living in your unrighteousness, you're walking in sin, you're enslaved to sin, what you need is Christ and who you need is Christ. You need to be reconciled to God through Jesus. The hope for sinners is Jesus. He alone kept the law. He alone lived perfectly. Church, this is what we glory in. He lived perfectly. He alone laid his life down as a ransom payment for sinners. He was crucified for us, and Jesus Christ was risen indeed, and he defeated death and the grave, and he will never die again. He will never die again. Brothers and sisters, Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That is our imperative, church. What do we do with how we use our bodies and what we do with our lives and should we sin that grace may abound? By no means, but we should be people who do this. We present our members to God as those who have been brought from death to life, not to sin. We are no longer enslaved by sin, church. So walk in that freedom. Walk with your eyes looking to Christ and the, and the gospel of Jesus, that he has freed us from sin and death, and he is indeed victorious. And if you are here this morning and you are a lost sinner, we're so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you are in our midst so that you can, we can tell you that through 
Jesus Christ, and though you have stepped into this room as a lost and broken sinner, Jesus Christ makes new creations. Jesus Christ makes people brand new, and we can, anyone can repent today and trust, and he will, he will save you. He will forgive you. And if that's just a call for believers to take that message, not a message of law, not a message of works, but that message of grace in Jesus Christ to the lost world around us, then let that be how the Lord encourages your heart today as a believer, to present your members to him as members of, an, of righteousness to God. And then take the message of grace. Not rejecting the law, but preaching the grace that crushed sin. Amen? The grace that crushed sin. You pray with me, church, and we'll ask the Lord to hide this in our heart. Father, we, we do ask, God, that there would be a seriousness in our hearts, in our minds today about how we understand the gospel. I pray, Father, that there would not be a mishandling of Scripture, a mishandling of the gospel, a mishandling of truth in our lives. Oh, Lord, bury it in deep in our hearts that if to be in Christ is to not be condemned. To be in Christ is to be set free, to be married to another. Not to be married to the law, but because of death, the death of Christ, we can be free from the law. not enslaved to sin, but free to worship and love Christ, our creator. Oh God, give us a seriousness about our lives in Christ, God, that we would not abuse grace. Lord, if there is any in this room that has been abusing your grace, oh, you are gracious to save them and point them to the gospel and bring them to Christ and yet somehow there is a daily apathy. Oh, Father, draw us into your loving kindness. Bring us to Jesus. Show us again what you've done for us, how you've saved us, how you've loved us. Sacrificed yourself for us. Rose from the dead and, and you give us life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. Lord, let us walk in newness of life. If there are any among us, God, who are struggling in their sin, Lord, they have rejected you. They are walking against you. They are rebelling against your will, your law, your word, your standard. God, would you save them? May they cry out to you and receive your loving kindness and the gift of salvation that comes alone through Jesus. Give us all faith again, Lord, to, to look to you today as we uh, remember you in communion, as we draw near to you and, and affirm that this is what we believe, that we are not saved by works of the law, but by your grace alone. We love you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. God, strengthen your church. Send us out as missionaries. God, continue to call us into a deeper relationship with you. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.